Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. Come closer. I want to talk to you. I'm going to tell you an astounding story. The story of the Maltese Falcon. 600 years, the Falcon has carried the mystery of a fabulous wealth under its grotesque wings. I could tell you a thousand tales of the men and women who have hunted this evil bird. But every story has the same ending. Murder. Listen to these incredible people, all consumed by their passionate greed for the Maltese Falcon. What have you ever given me beside money? Have you ever given me any of your confidence, any of the truth? Haven't you tried to buy my loyalty with money and nothing else? What else is there I can buy you with? I won't play this out for you. I haven't lived a good life. I've been bad. Worse than you could know. We were talking about a lot more money than this. There are more of us to be taken care of now. Well, that may be, but I've got the falcon. You may have the falcon. We certainly have you. I've taken a lot of riding from you, I'm gonna take. Get up and shoot it out. Stop it, the police will be here any minute. Now talk. Oh, how can you accuse me of such a tip? This isn't the time for that schoolgirl act. We're both of us sitting under the gallows. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're gonna cover the 1941 version of the Maltese Falcon. Now, the studio was Warner Brothers. The release date was October 18th, 1941. The running time? 101 minutes, and of course, it was in black and white. The budget? Now, these classic totals are tricky, but we'll try to give them to you anyway. The budget was $375,000, and the box office take was $1.7 million, which was a huge success for back then. Leonard Maltin from his classic movie guide, of course, gives it 4 out of 4 stars. His quick little synopsis is... Outstanding detective drama improves with each viewing. Bogey is Dashiell Hammett's hero, Sam Spade. Mary Astor is client. Peter Laurie, the evasive Joel Cairo. Sidney Greenstreet in his talky film debut as the Fat Man. And Alicia Cook, the neurotic Gunzel Wilmer. John Huston's first directorial effort, which he also scripted, moves at a lightning pace, with a cameo by his father, Walter Huston, as Captain Jacoby. It was previously filmed in 1931 and in 1936 as Satan Met a Lady. Rotten Tomatoes gives it 100% fresh from 54 reviews. The critics' consensus is suspenseful, labyrinth, and brilliantly cast. The Maltese Falcon is one of the most influential noirs, as well as a showcase for Humphrey Bogart at his finest. 
I'm pretty sure I saw this as a kid on my local PBS station late one Saturday night, and my dad had told me about the novel, and I had always enjoyed uh, classic black and white films, so I decided to check it out. And this is way before I think we even had cable. So whatever the you know five or ten stations we had that were playing is what you were limited to. And in a way, the lack of options introduced films that I may have skipped over if I had a chance to skip around to other stations. So sometimes less is more in life. The Maltese Falcon might be my favorite Humphrey Bogart movie, though Casablanca isn't far behind, and I love old detective movies, and I really enjoy like the hard-boiled private investor characters like Sam Spade and Philip Marlowe. And I think the appeal of Bogart in this film is that he really isn't that charming, which is unique. Most private investigator characters have sort of a rough exterior but they could still be charming when this situation called for it. Think of James Garner in The Rockford Files or Tom Selleck in Magnum P.I. They come to mind as likable, but they're tough private investigators. In The Maltese Falcon, it's greed, it's lust, love, lies, and something in the middle. It's more than a typical detective story, and it's all just great acting. It's the first true noir film as we know it. All right, let's get into the main cast. Of course, you have Humphrey Bogart playing the main character, Sam Spade, and this is the film that finally made Bogart a superstar after years of playing character roles, usually gangsters. And some of his well-known roles prior to the uh, Maltese Falcon included The Petrified Forest, where he was awesome as the bank robber Duke Manti. Uh, he was in Bullets or Ballots with Edward G. Robinson, Marked Woman with Betty Davis, San Quentin with Pat O'Brien, Kid Galahad with Edward G. Robinson and Betty Davis again, uh, Angels with Dirty Faces with James Cagney. Dark Victory with Betty Davis. Acted with her a lot. The Roaring Twenties with James Cagney and Brother Orchid with Edward G. Robinson. He was also in They Drive by Night with George Raft. And, of course, the awesome High Sierra, which really started the momentum going into the Maltese Falcon. Bogart could be super tough, but he's vulnerable at the same time, and he perfectly nailed what Hammett wanted as the Sam Spade character in the novel. Mary Astor plays Bridget O'Shaughnessy, and Astor's career began at the age of 17 in the early 1920s in silent movies, and what is interesting about her early career is the scandal which occurred for her. In, the in 1936, so there was gossip spread to the tabloids when her ex-husband at the time released her diary, which was filled with her sexual conquests to the papers, including that she had an affair with John Barrymore, even though he was 31. In today's era of sex tapes actually turning no talents into superstars, this type of scandal back then could end someone's career, especially in the 1930s. However, Astor stood up to her detractors and basically came out unscathed. If anything, her personal life helped her land that sort of femme fatale type role like in the Maltese Falcon. And again, she's awesome and perfect in the role, and it set the tone of the prototypical femme fatale in film noir. The diary and the divorce didn't hurt her career, nor should it have, because some of Astor's more memorable roles prior to the Maltese Falcon included Red Dust, which had Clark Gable and Gene Harlow, The Kennel Murder Case with William Powell, which was kind of a precursor to The Thin Man, Doddsworth with Walter Houston, The Prisoner of Zenda with Ronald Coleman, and Midnight with Claudette Colbert. Peter Lorre plays Joel Cairo, and it seemed like Lorre appeared in tons of Bogart films, but actually he was only in a few. But arguably the most popular was The Maltese Falcon and Casablanca. Prior to Maltese Falcon, he starred in the brilliant German film directed by Fritz Lang called M in 1931. Laurie continued to work on German films until the mid-1930s when he switched to English language films. 
One of those early uh, films was Alfred Hitchcock's original version of The Man Who Knew Too Much. He later took on the role of Mr. Moto, appearing in many B-movies based on the character, sort of like Charlie Chan. Sidney Greenstreet plays Casper Gutman, or the Fat Man, and amazingly, Sidney Greenstreet had never been on film, even though he was 61 years old. He was only a stage actor, and he was so nervous on set, he was actually shaking. And he ends up stealing the show, often because of the, his subtle mannerisms and, and his beats when he delivers his lines. And because of the Maltese Falcon, he will forever be cast as that you know larger-than-life villain. He's almost like Kingpin, you know, that Kingpin character in the Marvel Comics. He would continue to work steadily throughout the 1940s and also appearing in another classic, Casablanca. The director is John Huston, and like Greenstreet, he would also make his debut as a director in this film. The movies were just in Houston's blood, as his father, Walter, was a well-respected actor in his era, and later, John's daughter, Angelica Houston, would make her mark in Hollywood as well. The legend behind Houston actually landing the director's gig came from Houston working for director Howard Hawks. Houston expressed interest in becoming a director, and Hawks suggested that Houston just make the Maltese Falcon. And Houston was basically given a chance because it was cheap, and the cast was mostly unknown, and the last two adaptations of the Falcon didn't do that well. All right, let's get into the background of the making of the film. So the film, of course, as I mentioned, was made twice, not with great results, and author Dashiell Hammett worked as a detective prior to becoming a writer. So Hammett moved to San Francisco in 1921, which is why the Maltese Falcon takes place there. Now, Hammett was often sick, and he had pulmonary tuberculosis, so he couldn't be on the job as a detective any longer, so in turn, he wrote detective stories for Pulp Fiction publications. Hammett's detective stories changed how detective stories were written. It no longer was the upper class, it was the gutter, where it was meant to be in these tales. His original Maltese Falcon novel was written in 1928, but it was published in 1930, right before the Great Depression. He then worked in the advertising business, and he kind of saw greed and wealth, and that factored into his writings. The book made Hammett a literary star, and Warner Brothers bought the rights to the film in 1931. Now, the first film version was more sexual and less about Hammett's story vision, and the producer made Spade more of a playboy. Now, the second version, called Satan Met a Lady, had Betty Davis in the femme fatale role, and then William Warren played Spade. But this version is more like The Thin Man and was filled with comedy. Now, it's a fun movie. I do own it. But again, it wasn't what the novel was like, and it was a flop. So you have two flops of the same story, and it's kind of amazing that Warner Brothers would even try a third version. But the third time truly was the charm, because they finally got it right in 1941. Ironically, this version worked so well, and it came mostly from an unknown cast and a first-time director, but almost all in the film became stars in their own right after the Maltese Falcon. Houston always wanted Bogart as they worked together on High Sierra, and they were good friends, but the studio wanted George Raff because he was a bigger star, and Raff refused the movie, and Bogart got his role, and thank goodness, because it changed his career forever, along with Hollywood history. Houston wanted Joel Cairo to be straight and funny, and he thought... Peter Laurie was perfect, and Laurie said this was his favorite film. Now, in the novel, Cairo is actually gay, but they couldn't do that on film back in the 40s, so they made him a bit effeminate, but not outright gay. The rapid-fire dialogue was by design to speed up the pace of the film, and it does work. However, it's the facial expressions and the body language that makes the acting in this film so wonderful. These are true masters at work. And the way the film is shot is the blueprint of film noir. Of course, the use of shadows or shooting Green Street from below to make him seem larger than life were all techniques to amplify things on screen, and this could create tension without the viewer even realizing it. 
So the brilliance of the actual figurine as the character, uh, you know, the Falcon, in Hammett's story is that it's a metaphor of greed and often the futile attempt of people trying to obtain quick wealth, which is why the line, it's the stuff that dreams are made of, is so iconic and brilliant. All right, let's just get right into the movies. I love, again, I've said this a bunch of times, but I love how classic movies from the 30s and the 40s, they have the quickest opening credits, and usually the closing credits are simply the end. And in the case of the Maltese Falcon, you get 55 seconds of credits, and then it has a stat, you know, it's over uh, a statuette of the, the Falcon. And the opening starts with a text that says, In 1539, the Knight Templars of Malta pay tribute to Charles V of Spain by sending him a golden falcon encrusted from beak to claw with rarest jewels. But pirates seize the galley carrying this priceless token, and the fate of the Maltese Falcon remains a mystery to this day. So then we cut to San Francisco and the Golden Gate Bridge, though it's actually the Bay Bridge which connects San Francisco to Oakland. But nobody outside the Bay Area would even know this, therefore they would take this sign that said that as gospel. So the private detective, of course, is Sam Spade, and that's Bogart, and he's sitting in his office rolling his own cigarettes, and a mysterious woman named Ruth Wonderlay, played by Mary Astor, we who will be known as something else later, comes to visit Spade, and she claims that she's looking for her sister who was run away from New York to San Francisco with a man named Floyd Thursby. Spade's partner is Miles Archer, played by Jerome Cowan, is smitten with Astor and says he can personally handle her case to find her sister and then deal with the dangerous Floyd Thursby. Next thing we know, an unknown person shoots Miles Archer, killing him. And that was a quick entrance and departure for him. So Spade is an interesting character, at least the way Bogart plays him. He's sort of the anti-hero. He doesn't get overly emotional over his partner being murdered. He pretty much stays all business all the time, and it's sort of obvious he doesn't trust anyone, including his own partner. The police detectives on the case are played by Bart McClane and Ward Bond, both well-known and terrific character actors. And as it turns out, Thursby was killed after being shot in the back four times. So the detectives are leaning on Spade as they think he could have gone off and killed Thursby after leaving the crime scene of his dead partner. Also, the viewer never sees the character Thursby. We just get the storyline to move the plot along. We are introduced to Archer's widow, Iva, played by Gladys George, and it's more than implied that Spade was having an affair with her, which causes even more suspicion that Spade might have had, might have bumped off his partner. One of the great underrated characters in the movie is Spade's secretary, Effie, played by Lee Patrick. She has a great line after uh, Iva leads Spade's office. How did you make out with the widow? Which, of course, implies, intentional or not, that the two just kissed. So Mary Astor calls Spade to her hotel room, and we discover that Ruth Wonderly isn't her name, but it's Bridget O'Shaughnessy. Astor's character is a typical femme fatale, which makes the Maltese Falcon an early film noir, though it has mystery elements. Astor plays a damsel in distress, and Spade can sort of see through her act. Astor tells Spade another tale of how she, not her sister, met Thursby in the Orient and how he swindled her. She claims that Thursby killed Archer. Mr. Spade, I... I have a terrible, terrible confession to make. That story I told you yesterday was just a story. Oh, that. Well, we, we didn't exactly believe your story, Miss... Uh, what is your name? Wonderly or LeBlanc? It's really O'Shaughnessy. Bridget O'Shaughnessy. We didn't exactly believe your story, Miss O'Shaughnessy. We believed you $200. You mean that... I mean you paid us more than if you'd been telling us the truth and enough more to make it all right. Tell me, Mr. Spade. Am I to blame for last night? Well, you warned us that Thursby was dangerous. Of course, you lied to us about your sister and all that, but that didn't count. We didn't believe you. No, I, I wouldn't say that you were at fault. Thank you. Mr. Archer was so alive yesterday. 
so solid and hearty. Stop and... it. You know what he was doing? Those are the chances we take. Was he married? Yeah, with 10,000 insurance, no children, and a wife that didn't like him. Please don't. That's the way it was. Anyway, there's no time for worrying about that now. Out there's a flock of policemen and assistant district attorneys running around with their noses to the ground. Mr. Spade, do they know about me? Not yet. I've been stalling them until I could see you. Do they have to know about me? I mean, can't you shield me so that I won't have to answer their questions? Maybe. But I gotta know what it's all about. I can't tell you. I can't tell you now. I will later, when I can. You've got to trust me, Mr. Spade. Oh, I, I'm so alone and afraid. I've got nobody to help me if you won't help me. Be generous, Mr. Spade. You're brave. You're strong. You can spare me some of that courage and strength, surely. Help me, Mr. Spade. I need help so badly. I have no right to ask you. I know I haven't, but I do ask you. Help me. You won't need much of anybody's help. You're good. It's chiefly your eyes, I think, and that throb you get in your voice when you say things like, be generous, Mr. Spade. I deserve that. But the lie was in the way I said it. Not at all in what I said. It's my own fault if you can't believe me now. Uh, now you are dangerous. On a side note, I always thought that Julianne Moore and Elizabeth Perkins sort of looked like the modern Mary Astor. So there's an unintentional humorous scene where Spade asks how much money Astor has left. And she says $500. He says, okay, give it to me. So she gives him $400 and he says, where's the other $100? She says that she needs something to live on. And he asks, doesn't she have a way to get extra funds? And she says she has some furs and jewelries. And so he just says, good, hawk him. Like I said, Spade is an anti-hero, but we seem to like him no matter what. And that's kind of the charm of Bogart, so to speak. Next, we meet Joel Cairo, played by Pierre Laurie. And nobody sounded like Laurie. Gardenia. Quick, darling, in with him. Will you come in, Mr. Cairo? down, Mr. Carroll. Thank you, sir. Now, what can I do for you, Mr. Cairo? May a strange offer condolences for your partner's unfortunate death. Thanks. Is there, Mr. Spade, as the newspapers imply, a certain relationship between that uh, unfortunate happening and uh, the death a little later of the man Thursby? I beg your pardon, no. More than idle curiosity prompted my question. See, Mr. Spade, I'm trying to recover ornament that, uh, shall we say, has been mislaid. Uh-huh. I thought and hoped you could assist me. The ornament uh, is a statuette, black figure of a bird. I am prepared to pay on behalf of the figure's rightful owner the sum of $5,000 for its recovery. I am prepared to promise that, uh, what is the phrase, uh, no questions will be asked. $5,000 is a lot of money. Yes, Abby? No, that'll be all. Just be sure to lock the door behind you on your way out. Good night. $5,000 is... You will clasp your hands together at the back of your neck. I intend to search your offices, Mr. Spade. I warn you, if you attempt to prevent me, I shall certainly shoot you. Go ahead and search. Will you please come to the center of the room? I have to.
to make certain that you're not armed. So a common move by Joel Cairo is that he will pull a gun on Spade throughout the film, and then Spade knocks him out and he goes through his belongings. It took 30 minutes, but we now know what the film is about. Everyone is looking for this prized Maltese Falcon statuette, which is why Cairo pulled the gun and then later offered Spade 5000 for it. What I never understood was the sudden change with Spade's attitude toward Mary Astor. He seems to realize she's trying to con him, but then the next second he's kissing her like he's trying to believe her. This might be a common problem with early cinema where people fall for each other somewhat randomly. Then we have a fun showdown between Spade, Cairo, and Aster. Come in, Mr. Cairo. I'm delighted to see you again, madame. I was sure you would be, Joe. Mr. Spade told me about your offer for the Falcon. How soon can you have the money ready? The money is ready. In cash? Yes. You're ready to pay $5,000 if we turn over the Falcon to you. Excuse me, please. I must have expressed myself badly. I did not mean to say that I have the money in my pocket, but that I'm ready to get it for you on a few minutes' notice any time during banking hours. Is that probably true? He only had a couple of hundred on him when I searched him late this afternoon at my office. I shall be able to have the money for you at, say, half past ten in the morning. But I haven't got the Falcon. I'll have it in another week at the most, though. And where is it? Where Floyd hid it. Floyd said. And you know where he hid it? Then why do we have to wait a week? Oh, perhaps not a whole week. And why, if I may ask another question, are you willing to sell it to me? Because I'm afraid. After what happened to Floyd, I'm afraid to touch it except to turn it over to somebody else. What exactly did happen to Floyd? Fat man. Is he here? I don't know. I suppose so. What difference does it make? It might make a world of difference. Or you or me. Precisely, but uh, shall we add more certainly the boy outside? Yes. But you might be able to get around him, Joel, as you did the one in Istanbul. Uh, what was his name? You mean the one you couldn't get to come to? <laughs> You're slapped, you'll take it and like it. I don't know, keep quiet. Basically, Floyd Thursby had the Falcon, which is why he was killed. Now, Astor and Cairo, unlikely others, are now on the hunt for the rare statue. Spade is being followed by another private detective named Wilmer, played by Alicia Cook. And I first saw Cook on the old Superman TV show with George Reeves from the 1950s. He played Homer Garrity on the episode Semi-Private Eye in 1954. However, he's one of those early Hollywood character actors that you saw tons in films and TV shows throughout the year. For example, he finished his career on Magnum P.I. playing the mobster Ice Pick, who was Rick's buddy in connection on the island. I want to talk to Mr. Cairo, Joel Cairo. Oh, thanks. Where is he? What? Where is he? Oh, Cairo. 
What do you think you're doing, Jack? Kidding me? I'll tell you when I am. New York, aren't you? Shove off. You're going to have to talk to me before you're through, Sonny. Some of you will. And you can tell the fat man I said so. Keep asking for it and you're going to get it. Plenty. I told you to shove off. Shove off. People lose teeth talking like that. If you want to hang around, you'll be polite. Hello, Sam. Hello, Luke. Say, that was too bad about Miles. Yeah, it's a tough break. I want to show you something. What do you let these cheap gunmen hang around the lobby for with their heaters bulging in their clothes? What do you want here? Well, if you don't want anything, beat it. And don't come back. I won't forget you guys. So Spade is juggling a few different women. Iva Archer, the widow of his partner, is still in love with him, and he would like to get rid of her in the worst way. And of course, he's into Mary Astor, but we're never quite sure. It takes about an hour, but we are finally introduced to Casper Gutman, or the fat man, played by Sidney Greenstreet. You're a close-mouthed man? Oh, I like to talk. Better and better. I distrust a close-mouthed man. He generally picks the wrong time to talk and says the wrong things. Talking something you can't do judiciously, unless you keep in practice. Now, sir, we'll talk if you like. I tell you right out, I'm a man who likes talking to a man who likes to talk. Swell. Will we talk about the blackbird? <laughs> You're the man for me, sir. No beating about the bush, right to the point. Let's talk about the blackbird, by all means. Professor, answer me a question. Are you here as Miss O'Shaughnessy's representative? Well, there's nothing certain either way. It depends. Depends on? Maybe it depends on Joel Cairo. Maybe. The question is then which you represent. It'll be one or the other. I didn't say so. Who else is it? There's me. <sighs> That's wonderful, sir. Wonderful. I do like a man who tells you right after he's looking out for himself. Don't we all? I don't trust a man who says he's not. Uh-huh. Now let's talk about the blackbird. Let's. Mr. Spade, have you any conception of how much money can be got for that blackbird? No. Well, sir, if I told you, I told you half, you'd call me a liar. No, not even if I thought so. But you tell me what it is, and I'll figure out the profit. <laughs> you mean you don't know what the bird is? Oh, I know what it's supposed to look like. And I know the value in human life you people put on it. She didn't tell you what it is? Cairo didn't either. He offered me 10000 for it. 10000 Dollars, mind you, not even pounds. Do they know what that bird is, sir? What is your impression? Well, it's not very much to go by. Cairo didn't say he didn't, he didn't say he didn't. She said she didn't, but uh, I took it for granted she was lying. Not an injudicious thing to do. If they don't know... I'm the only one in the whole wide, sweet world who does. Well, when you told me, that'll make two of us. Mathematically correct, sir. But I don't know for certain that I'm going to tell you. Oh, don't be foolish. You know what it is. I know where it is. That's why I'm here. Well, sir, where is it? You see, I must tell you what I know. But you won't tell me what you know. It's hardly equitable, sir. No, no. Don't think we can do business along those lines. 
I'll think again and think fast. I told that gunsel of yours you'd have to talk to me before you're through. I'm telling you now, you'll talk to me today or you are through. What are you wasting my time for? I can get along without you. And another thing, keep that gunsel out of my way while you're making up your mind. I'll kill him. If you don't, I'll kill him. Well, sir, I must say you have a most violent temper. Think it over. You've got till five o'clock. Then you're either in or out. Or keeps! So that little outburst was all part of the plan by Spade to show Gutman he's a little unhinged. We get another great bit role from John Hamilton, who is best known for playing Perry White on the, again, original TV show of Superman back in the 50s. Great Caesar's Ghost! So Gutman ends up getting a Mickey, which is being drugged for you younger folks, which is essentially like getting a roofies. He drugs Spade's drink after another meeting where Gutman offers Spade $25,000. When Spade wakes up, he discovers there's a shipment coming in from Hong Kong. Later, when Spade is back at his office, being tended to by Effie, a man staggers in with a package wrapped in newspaper and drops it on the floor. The man dies on Spade's couch. Now, this is an uncredited cameo by none other than Walter Houston, the famous actor and father of director John Houston. The package, of course, is the Maltese Falcon. And by the way, Houston would also co-star with Bogart a few years later in the terrific movie The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Walter Houston, that is. Spade decides to hide the Falcon at a bus terminal after receiving a frantic call from Astor. As it turns out, this was set up as Gutman and his gang were waiting for him at his place. Well, are you ready to make the first payment and take the Falcon off my hands? Well, sir. As to that. As to that. Ten thousand. We were talking about a lot more money than this. Yes, sir, we were. This is genuine coin of the realm. The dollar of this, you can buy ten dollars of talk. And there are more of us to be taken care of now. Well, that may be, but I've got the falcon. I shouldn't think it would be necessary to remind you, Mr. Spade, that you may have the falcon. But we certainly have you. Yeah, well, I'm trying not to let that worry me. We'll get back to the money later on. There's something else to be discussed first. We've got to have a fall guy. The police have got to have a victim. Somebody they can pin those three murders on. Three, but it is only two because Thursby certainly killed your partner. All right, only two then. What difference does it make? The point is, we've got to give the police... Come, come, Mr. Spade. You can't expect us to believe at this late date that you're the least bit afraid of the police. Or that you're not quite able to handle... I'm in this up to my neck, Gutman. I've got to find somebody, a victim, when the time comes. If I don't, I'll be it. Let's give him the guns. He actually did shoot Thursby and Jacoby, didn't he? Anyway, he's made to order for the part. Look at him. Let's give him to them. <laughs> By God, so you are a character that you are. There's never any telling what you'll say or do next, except that it's bound to be something astonishing. Why, it's our best bet. With him in their hands, the police will... my dear man, can't you see that if I even for a moment thought of doing such a thing? That's ridiculous. I feel towards Wilma here just exactly as if he were my own son. Really, I do. But if I even for a moment thought of doing what you propose, what in the world would keep Wilma from telling the police every last detail about the falcon and all? Let him talk his head off. I'll guarantee you nobody will do anything about it. <laughs> well, well, what do you think of this, Wilma? Mighty funny, eh? Mighty funny. How do you feel now? Any better, Precious? Much better. But I'm frightened. Oh, don't be. Nothing very bad's going to happen here. You want a drink, Angel?
sorry indeed to lose you. But I want you to know I couldn't be fonder of you if you were my own son. But well, if you lose a son, it's possible to get another. There's only one Maltese falcon. When you're young, you simply don't understand these things. <laughs> How about some coffee? Put the pot on, will you, Angel? I don't like to leave our guest. Surely. Just a moment, my dear. Hadn't you better leave the envelope in here? if you're afraid of losing it. You misunderstand me. It's not that at all. The business should be transacted in a business-like manner. <laughs> For instance, there are only nine bills here now. There were ten when I handed them to you, as you very well know. Well, I want to know about this. You palmed it. I probably. Yes. Do you want to say so, or do you want to stand for a frisk? Stand for? You're going to admit it, or I'm going to search you? There's no third way. <laughs> I guess I believe you would. I really do. You are a character, if you don't mind my saying so. You palmed it. Yes, sir. That I did. <laughs> I must have my little joke now and then. And I was curious to know what you would do in a situation of this sort. I must say you passed the test with flying colors. Ah, it's the sort of a thing I'd expect from somebody Wilmer's age. This will soon be yours. You might as well take it. I ought to have more than 10,000. Of course, sir. You understand this is the first payment. Later. Oh, yes. Later you'll give me millions. But uh, how's about 15,000 now? Frankly and candidly, upon my word of honor as a gentleman, 10,000 is all the money I can raise. But you didn't say positively. Positively. I'd like to give you a word of advice. Go ahead. I dare say you're going to give her some money, but if you don't give her as much as she thinks she ought to have, my word of advice is, be careful. Dangerous. <laughs> Very. So we do discover who killed Thursby, the man in Spade's office, along with Miles Archer, but you're going to have to watch the movie to find out. Unfortunately, I think this is now the type of movie that many in the younger generation will just kind of be bored to death with, because the majority of the film is cerebral and verbal. There's very little action per se. It is essentially like watching a visual book on tape, and I personally love movies like this, and I hope down the line a new generation will appreciate films that aren't made for the ADD generation of constant stimulation. Frankly, the actors from the past generations could pull a movie like this off because they just chew up the scenery. Today's actors are faceless and they're just a dime a dozen. You can put them in superhero costumes and you can blow shit up and people are amused. But to hear them talk for longer than a couple minutes, you kind of realize they can't hold a candle to the earlier generation who started on Broadway for the most part. Plus, today's scripts of dialogues are lazy as can be. So you can call me old, but this podcast is called Damn Good Movie Memories for a reason. So again, I won't give away the ending, but it's a terrific twist, and Bogart is perfect with his delivery. If you want to hear a radio adaptation, I will tack that on at the end of this episode, but I highly recommend checking out the film. But I would be remiss if I didn't play this memorable clip from Peter Lorre. It's you who bungled it. You and your stupid attempt to buy it. Kemido found out how valuable it was. No wonder we had such an easy time stealing it, you, you imbecile, you bloated idiot, you stupid fathead, you... <laughs> you imbecile, you bloated idiot. Almost sounds like uh, Ren and Stimpy. 
Also, the final line of the film is probably confused sometimes with Casablanca, but it's one of the most memorable quotes in film history. Harry, what is it? The uh, stuff that dreams are made of. All right, let's get into some of the fun facts. There are a bunch of actors who would have been cast. Uh, for example, in the Sam Spade character, we had already mentioned George Raft. Edward G. Robinson was considered Fred McMurray, Henry Fonda, Frederick March, Paul Muni, Melvin Douglas, French O'Tone, Lloyd Nolan, and Anthony Quinn were all considered to play Sam Spade. For Joel Cairo, Sam Jaffe and Lee J. Cobb were considered. For Casper Gutman, Edward Arnold, and again, Lee J. Cobb. For the femme fatale, it was Geraldine Fitzgerald who was the first option. Then it was Olivia de Havilland, Loretta Young, Rita Hayworth, Paulette Goddard, and Joan Bennett were all considered. So three of the statuettes still exist, and they are conservatively valued at over a million dollars each. This makes them some of the most valuable film props ever made. So two of the Maltese Falcons were used because Humphrey Bogart actually dropped it during the original shooting, and it's on display in the movie museum at Warner Brothers Studio, and its tail feathers are visibly dented from where Bogart dropped it. Humphrey Bogart had to supply his own wardrobe, and this was common practice at Warner Brothers as a way for the studio to save some money. At 357 pounds, Sidney Greenstreet was so large that the studio had to specially manufacture his entire wardrobe for the role of Casper Gutman. Unlike Hungry Bogart, who was not overweight, he actually had to buy his own stuff, so maybe it paid to be overweight. Anyway, the chair for Sidney Greenstreet uh, that he sits in while talking to Bogart in the hotel room was also made for him, and the chair... The chairs from the props department were going to be wide enough to accommodate him, so they had to build him one. At the time, Mary Astor was having an affair with John Huston during the making of the film. So when Ingrid Bergman actually landed the part of Elsa in Casablanca, she actually watched the Maltese Falcon repeatedly to study Humphrey Bogart's acting technique. So there were tons of uh, on-set jokes that were uh, and pranks that were pulled off by the actors. Uh, Mary, Mary Astor recounted in her bio, autobiography that the cast and crew had a system where Houston would signal for a certain practical joke to be played for the visitors on set. For the benefit of visiting you know, the starstruck uh, fans, uh, the number five had uh, Humphrey Bogart going into a prepared act with Sidney Greenstreet, and he'd start yelling and cursing at him, calling him a fat old fool. Like, who the hell do you think you are? You upstage me, and I'm telling you I'm not having any, you know, yada yada, to which... Uh, Houston would jump into the act and he would hold back Bogart's mock rage and very quickly the embarrassed and uh, you know disillusioned ladies would shuffle towards the nearest exit. And then there was a number 10 joke where Peter Lorre would come out of Astor's uh, dressing room at the appropriate moment and adjusted his fly saying, see you later, Mary. So John Houston actually uh, recruited Mary Astor to play a prank on his father, Walter, after the elder Houston had just filmed his cameo. So Astor called up Walter, telling him that she was producer Hal B. Wallace's secretary and that Wallace uh, thought he'd overreacted in his scene. And Houston was enraged, declaring that he would never be <laughs> they'd never been accused of overacting in his life, but agreed to return the next day to reshoot the scene. John Houston then took the phone from Astor, identified himself as Wallace, and repeated the criticism. And then Walter grew even more furious, declaring that he had already agreed to reshoot. And it was only then that then John uh, exploded in laughter on the other end of the phone, and Walter realized that it was his son playing a prank on him. 
So Humphrey Bogart actually has no resemblance to the character of Sam Spade as described in the book. In the book, he's over six feet tall and had a hooked nose and blonde hair. Of course, this isn't totally uncommon because then you had, you know, adaptations like more modern day, like Jack Reacher, where Jack Reacher was this mountain of a man. He's, you know, 6'3", 6'4", and he's like, you know... 230, 40 pounds of rock solid. He's like a football player. And then Tom Cruise plays him in the movie, but it doesn't matter. So you never know. All right. We have a great talk with Joseph Staub, and we talk about the Maltese Falcon. And then, as always, it's a great discussion. And then afterwards, we're going to play the radio adaptation, and you can hear. Well, if you want to hear the ending, you can listen to it. Otherwise, I really recommend you check out the movie because it is really one of the classics of film noir. Until next time, this is Brian signing off. All right, we're back, and you loved him on the Dracula episode. So we had to have him back because he loves his classic movies. And what better than to talk about the Maltese Falcon with Joseph Staub? Welcome back, Joseph. Very much, Brian. Thanks for having me. No problem. No problem. So uh, when was the first time you saw the Maltese Falcon? Did you read the book? And how does this hold up with you know other Bogart movies for you? I probably uh, saw the Maltese Falcon probably about... Uh, seven or eight years ago now i did not read the book first i read the book after i had seen the film i this was pretty early in my uh noir career i really um this was one of the ones that like people really recommended as a first sort of uh dive into this genre um and i've really gotten a lot more into the genre since watching this but this is one of the first i ever really got into and as for uh humphrey bogart movies i think it definitely stands up as one of the classics that he was in um, mm-hmm. Right up there with some of those other films, and I think um, that the plot is very interesting. I, I think that um, the way that the characters are portrayed is very um, good in comparison to some other noir films that maybe didn't have as many quality actors. And I know a lot of them were a little more low budget films, but this you could definitely tell this was more of a high budget feature. Kind of, I it reminds me of one of his later films. We just uh actually watched it for a class I'm taking in college, so The Big Sleep. Oh, um, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, this one definitely stands up for me as one of his best films. Well, eventually we will talk about The Big Sleep because I do have that in my collection, and that is the one that's notoriously famous for people being totally confused by the plot. So mm-hmm. you could do a whole... Um, I'm sure you guys definitely debated about certain plot points in that one. Oh, yeah, because uh, it was for one of my uh, literature classes, so we read the book and then... Uh, we watched the film and we were talking about how the differences between the book and the film and how mm-hmm. much uh, the film really is just convoluted, especially in comparison to the book. Right. And and what's amazing is even though it is a convoluted plot, it's still so much fun to watch because of Bogart and Bacall. And so speak going back to the book part, do you like the Maltese Falcon novel or the or the movie better? <sighs> I've, I've gone back and forth about that. I, I think at this point I enjoy the film better, mainly because I saw it first. But I think it's a very good novel as well. It's the only, uh, surprisingly, it's the only Dashiell Hammett novel I've read. It really, I love it as a novel as well. Now, you mentioned the the actors in this film, and they're great. And so how, how do you like Mary Astor as the femme fatale? And then, of course, let, let, go ahead and talk about the other actors in the film that you that you really appreciate. Uh, I think um, Mary Astor is especially very good in this film, being able to portray um, basically two different characters, even though it's one character who's masquerading as a sort of uh, second personality. I think she is great in the film and the way that um, she goes back, kind of back and forth. She plays very well against Bogart, but also well against uh, the villains of the film, especially uh, against Peter Lorre 
as uh, Cairo, and I think he he is one of my favorite um, parts of the film, especially him, and then uh, the one Street as Gutman, I think, is very good as well. Which is crazy because this is Sydney Greenstreet's, uh, I believe, film debut, if I'm not I mistaken. It was yes, yeah, yeah, which is amazing because he ends up and then he's got a huge role in. Uh, Casablanca as well. The one that I thought was underused, and I, I may be wrong, it's so his secretary's Effie, and that's Lee Patrick. She's got a great role in this that's kind of understated. You can tell that she she really likes him, but uh, she's kind of a cool character that I think a lot of people f- forget about. I agree. I think I think she's definitely underutilized in the film, but I think uh, Lee Patrick plays her extremely well. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So when you first saw this, did you know about the story? Did you know the ending before watching it? I did not. I. I was uh i was very much uh outside of this whole world when i first uh started into these sort of films so i hadn't really heard anything about the film before i watched it, other than that it was one of the best in the genre mm-hmm. uh, so it wasn't spoiled for me so i got to go through the entire experience when i first saw it Oh, cool. Good. Yeah, I mean, and you've seen the um, uh, Treasure of the Sierra Madre, and that's I love how that ends as well. And this has got kind of a similar ending. It's not uh, as as, you know, quote unquote funny as the Treasure of the Sierra Madre, but this one's kind of got a a nice gotcha one. So how would this hold up um, in in the film noir for you? Uh, Would you consider it the best or what is your favorite film noir movie? Well, that's that's a tough one. Um, I would I know. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh I would definitely um it would definitely be up there as one of my favorite uh noir films. I might even say it's my favorite. Um Really? I'm trying to I'm trying to think what what else would be up there with it. I definitely I I definitely enjoy The Big Sleep as well. That's another one of my favorite. I think um Humphrey Bogart especially throughout some of his noirs are really is really good. I'd really have to think about like what some of my other favorites would be. Okay, and in the meantime, I'll give you another question. So, detective-wise, with the classic kind of gumshoe detective movies, what are your some of your top ones? Uh, definitely. Uh, oh my God, why is his name slipping away from me? In um, oh, Philip Marlowe, of course. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think his uh characterization is very good in um uh, in both the novel and the film, and um, I I think that he's probably my favorite. But then um. Some of the other ones Bogart plays are uh, some more of my favorites. So of the Bogart movies, what would be your top five Bogart movies? Oh. I know I'm throwing I'm throwing them yeah. all. At you. <laughs> um, uh, the Kane Mutiny is one of my favorite. Um, really? Okay. Yes, I, I quite enjoy that. Um, Treasures of the Sierra Madre is one of the one of my favorites. Um, mm-hmm. Maltese Falcon. Uh, Casablanca and probably The Big Sleep would be my top five. Nice, nice. Yeah, I also the the Bogart and Bacall ones are great too. So like um, to have and have nots, great. Yes. Uh, the Desperate Hours is tremendous as well. He he's in so many great ones. I mean, you could pretty much go through his catalog. Obviously, The African Queen, things like yes. that. Uh, no, this has been great. Are there any other thoughts about the movie that I, I don't know if you just recently watched it or not? But are any, are there anything that sticks out that you wanted to point out? And uh, yeah, you, this is your platform. Uh, I especially I know you brought up the ending before. I really the ending especially really sticks out. You you see a similar thing in the uh, the novelization of the Big Sleep, but you don't see it in the film. And I think that was uh, interesting. But 
I think that the ending of the Maltese Falcon is probably one of the famous of those sort of endings. It's kind of funny, his relationship with her, because he, he can tell he's kind of, he sees through the lies, but then at the same point, maybe it's just because of that era of film, like he's immediately drawn to her and it almost comes off, I don't want to say cheesy, but it's like, well, you know she's playing you, but then you're playing it like you really like, it's, it's weird. I don't know. Maybe it's seeing through modern eyes. Yeah, I, I think it's sort of that just a, uh, the the idea of the femme fatale that even yeah. though um he can see through her and it's obvious that she is dangerous or that she's not being completely forward with him he does still have feelings for her and i think that um this film especially plays on that characterization very well and the other the other character we got to talk about is peter laurie who <laughs> um yeah he's just so like that character like when you think of, of that type of guy he like fits it perfectly and then the back and forth you know, between Bogart taking the gun away from him and then, uh, you know, Lori takes it back from him and just the back and forth is really funny. Yeah, I, I think his character is one of my favorite in the film. I think he really epitomizes that idea of like the sort of slimy. He doesn't necessarily appear as the main villain of at mm-hmm. first, but then when you kind of find out that he is that sort of character, and I think uh, he portrays that character extremely well. Yeah, absolutely. I kind of miss these characters, whether they're either they're private detectives or insurance investigators. Uh, we just did the killers. And so it's kind of like those kind of characters are gone in modern film uh, where they are almost they are like the police. And many times they more they know more than the police. Yeah, I kind of wish they'd bring that back a little bit. But eh, well, we'll see. We still have our old movies for that. Yep. Uh, any <laughs> other any any other points that you would like to make? No, I think we covered a lot of uh, why I really enjoy this film so much. I think that. I would definitely recommend it to anyone who's trying to get into uh, film noir, who's trying to uh, get into Humphrey Bogart or trying just to get into films from that era. I think this definitely stands out as one of the best. And then obviously you love the novel. Would you recommend you watch the movie first or read the novel first? Oh, I think I think it depends on the person. I really think that if if they if it's a person who can really just sit down with a book and just really read through a book. I definitely recommend the novel first, but I think if if that's not necessarily how people uh, some people retain their media, then I would definitely recommend the film. And this reminds me, there were two other adaptations of the Maltese Falcon. One was called the Maltese Falcon. The other one, I had Betty Davison, and it's more like kind of like the Thin Man. Have you ever seen those versions? Yes, yes, I okay. have. Um, I think this is the best of the three, though. Oh, absolutely. I mean, hands down. Uh, this is a fr- finally they got it right. Actually, I think that's part of the reason John Huston got the movie is because they really hadn't done well with the, the other two adaptations. Thank you so much, Joseph. This has been great, and you're one of our classic movie guys. And so I think we have a feel. I have a feeling we're going to do another classic movie soon so be on the lookout so thank you again thank you brian lady esther presents the screen guild players Screen Guild play tonight, The Maltese Falcon. The starring players, this is Humphrey Bogart. This is Mary Astor. This is Sidney Greenstreet. And this is Peter Laurie. (laughs) 
Tonight, Lady Esther presents the Screen Guild players in Warner Brothers' sensational mystery story, The Maltese Falcon. It stars Humphrey Bogart as Private Detective Sam Spade, Mary Astor as Miss Wonderly, Sidney Greenstreet as Casper Gutman, and Peter Lorre as Joel Cairo. <laughs> This is the story of the Maltese Falcon and of the people whose lives it touched and seared. It began in San Francisco when a beautiful young woman who identified herself as Miss Wonderly walked into the offices of Spade and Archer, private detectives. Miss Wonderly had just told Sam Spade why she wished to engage detectives when Spade's partner, Miles Archer, entered the office. Well, it's all right, Miles. Come in. Miss Wendley, this is Miles Archer, my partner. How do you do? Well, I'm pleased to meet you. Miss Wendley's sister ran away from New York with a fellow named Floyd Thursby. They're here in San Francisco. Miss Wendley has seen Thursby and has a date with him tonight. Maybe he'll bring the sister with him. The chances are he won't. Miss Wendley wants us to find the sister, get her away from Thursby, and back home. But I want you to know that he's a dangerous man. I don't think he'd stop at anything. I don't believe he'd hesitate to kill Corinne, my sister, if he thought it would save him. Uh-huh. What time is he coming to see you, Miss Wendley? After 8 o'clock. All right, Miss Wendley, we'll have a man then. Well, I'll look after it myself. Thank you, Mr. Archer. Will uh, $200 be enough for a retainer? Well, plenty. Or oh, it'll help if you meet Thursby in your hotel lobby, Miss Wendley. I will. Thank you again. Goodbye. Well, Archer, what do you think of her? Sweet. <laughs> I'm going to enjoy shadowing her. Okay, sucker. You call me if you run into any trouble. Hello? Yes, this is Spade. This is Lieutenant Dundee, Spade. What's on your mind, copper? I thought you might be interested in knowing that your partner, Archer, was found in an alley near the St. Mark, shot through the heart from close range. Last burnt his coat. Coming down for a look at him before he's moved? No. You've seen everything I could. His gun was tucked away on his hip. It hadn't been fired. His overcoat was buttoned. Was he working, Sam? Well? He was supposed to be tailing a fellow named Floyd Thursby. What for? And I don't crowd me. I'll see you after I break the news to Archer's wife. I'll be there in a couple of hours. <laughs> Copper, come on in. Break the news to Archer's wife, Sam? Uh-huh. What kind of a gun do you carry? None. I don't like them much. You don't just happen to have one on you. Search me. Turn the dump upside down if you want to. I won't squawk if you've got a search warrant. Why were you tailing Floyd Thursby, Sam? I wasn't. Archer was. For the swell reason that we had a client who was paying good money to have him tailed. Who's the client? Sorry, I can't tell you that. You didn't go to Archer's house to tell his wife. I called up and the girl from your office was there and she said you told her to go. What are you leading up to? Just this, Spade. Floyd Thursby was shot down in front of his hotel about a half an hour after I talked to you. Oh. I came into my apartment just a few minutes ahead of you. I was walking around thinking things over. I knew you weren't here. I tried to get you on the phone. Where'd you walk to? Just around. Thursby die? Yeah. How'd I kill him? I forget. He was shot four times in the back. 
Hotel people know anything about him? Nothing. Except he'd been there a week. Alone? Alone. You find out who he was, what his game was? No, I thought you could tell me that. <laughs> I've never seen Thursby dead or alive. Now, look, Spade. You know me. If you did get Thursby, you'll get a square deal from me. And most of the breaks. I don't know that I'd blame you a lot. Man that kills your partner. But that wouldn't keep me from nailing you. That's fair enough. Now, would you mind scramming? I got some thinking to do, and I'd like to get a little sleep before daylight. Hello? Yeah, this is Sam Spade. Oh, I was just going to call you. Where are you? Well, the Carnet on California Street, apartment 101. What's that? The name's Miss LeBlanc. <laughs> okay, I'll I'll be right out. Oh, good morning. Come in, Mr. Spade. Mr. Spade, I have a terrible, terrible confession to make. That, uh, that story I told you yesterday was all just a story. Huh. Oh, that. Well, uh, <laughs> we didn't exactly believe your story, Miss... Uh, is your name Wonderly or LeBlanc? It's really O'Shaughnessy, Bridget O'Shaughnessy. Oh. Well, Miss O'Shaughnessy, as I said, we, we didn't exactly believe your story. We believed your $200. Oh? Yes, you see, you paid us too much to be telling the truth. You knew that when you accepted the money? Oh, I suspected it. I was positive when Joel Cairo called on me. Joel Cairo? Yeah. Yeah, he seems interested in Floyd Thursby, too. What did he say? About what? About me? Nothing. Well, what did he talk about? Well, he offered me $5,000 for a black statuette of a bird. He was pretty sure I had it or knew where it was. Do you? Oh, I think I know someone who does, and $5,000 is a lot of money. Right now, the police are trying to find out who hired us to tail Floyd Thursby. Mr. Spade, do they know about me? Well, I don't think they do. I've been able to stall them so far. Must they know about me at all, Mr. Spade? Couldn't you manage somehow to shield me from them? Maybe. But I'll have to know what it's all about. I can't tell you now. Later I will, when I can. You must trust me, Mr. Spade. Oh, I, I'm so alone and afraid. I've got nobody to help me if you won't help me. Be generous, Mr. Spade. You're strong. You're brave. You can spare me some of that strength and courage, surely. <laughs> Sister, you don't need much of anybody's help. You're good. Chiefly your eyes, I think, and that throb you get in your voice when you say things like, be generous, Mr. Spade. All right. I deserve that. But the lie was in the way I said it, and not at all in what I said. Ah, now you are dangerous. Still, Cairo offered me $5,000. It's far more than I could ever offer you if I must bid for your life. <laughs> yeah, that's good coming from you. Have you given me any of your confidence, any of the truth? I can't go ahead without more confidence in you than I have now. Can't you trust me just a little while? Well, how much is a little? And what are you waiting for? I must talk to Joe Cairo. Oh. Well, you can see him tonight. I know where to reach him. Oh, he can't come here. I can't let him know where I am. I'm, I'm afraid. Yeah, we'll all meet at my place, then. All right.
I'm delighted to see you again, Mrs. O'Shaughnessy. I was sure you would be, Joe. Mr. Spade told me about your offer for the Maltese Falcon. How soon can you have the money ready? Oh, it is ready. You are ready to give us $5,000 if we turn the Falcon over to you? I shall be able to give you the money as soon as uh, the bank opens in the morning. But I haven't got the Falcon. Then why did you send for me? Because I'll have it in another week. Yes? Where is it? Where Floyd hid it. If you know where he hid it, why, why must we wait a week? And why are you willing to sell it to me? I'm afraid. After what happened to Floyd, I'm afraid to touch it except to turn it over to somebody else right away. Exactly what did happen to Floyd? The fat man. Gottman? Is he here? I don't know. I suppose so. Uh, if you two let me interrupt for a second, I can answer that. Gutman is here. How do you know? Because he called me and asked me to see him. Have you? Not yet. I thought that after our friend Cairo here left, I'd find out just how you and I stand before I took on any more clients. How do you know how you and I stand, Sam? Yeah. If I can believe anything about you. But you're such a liar. I am a liar. I've always been a liar. <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't brag about it. Was there any truth at all in that yarn you were telling me about Thursby and the Falcon? Some. Not very much. Well, we've got all night before us. Oh, I'm I'm so tired. So tired of lying and thinking up lies and not knowing what is a lie and what is the truth. I wish... Now look, honey. I think I'd better have a talk with Gutman in the morning. Now, Mr. Gutman, shall we talk about the falcon? No. <laughs> oh. <laughs> By all means, Mr. Spade, but first, sir, answer me a question. Are you here as Mr. O'Shaughnessy's representative? Well, there's nothing certain about it either way yet. It depends. Maybe it depends on Joel Cairo? Maybe. The question then, Mr. Spade, is which you'll represent. It'll be Mr. O'Shaughnessy or Mr. Cairo. I didn't say so. Who else is there? There's me. <laughs> oh, well, that's wonderful, sir, wonderful. I do like a man who tells you right out he's looking out for himself. Don't we all? Uh-huh. Now, let's talk about the Blackbird. Let's, Mr. Spade. Have you any conception of how much money can be got out of that Blackbird? No, but you just tell me what it is, and I'll figure out the profits. You mean you don't know what that bird is? Well, I know it's black enamel and about a foot high, and I know the value in human life you people put on it. Mr. O'Shaughnessy didn't tell you what it is? He offered and me... And ten... didn't either? He offered me 10000 for it. Do either of them know what that bird is, sir? What is your impression? Well, there's not much to go by, but... Uh... I don't think so. If they don't know, I'm the only one in the whole wide, sweet world who does. Good. And when you tell me, there'll be two of us. <laughs> Mathematically correct, sir. But I don't know for certain that I'm going to tell you. Well, you think again and think fast. You'll do your talking today. You're through. What are you wasting my time for? I can get along without you. That remains to be seen, Mr. Spade. They're away. And there's another thing. Keep that gunman of yours away from me while you're making up your mind or I'll kill him. <laughs> Well, sir, I must say you have a very violent temper. Take it over. You got till 5.30. Then you're either in or out for keeps. Wilma. I'm going to kill that guy. 
I could have done it easy when he was standing there with his back to me. Of course you could, my boy. But business before pleasure. And we'll be seeing Mr. Spade again before 5.30. So ends Act One of The Maltese Falcon, starring Peter Lorre, Sidney Greenstreet, Mary Astor, and Humphrey Bogart. Act Two in just a moment. But first, here's a word from our hostess, Lady Esther. Some weeks ago, I was being shown through a shipyard one of the largest in the country, and stopped to chat with a young woman wearing a safety mask. It gave her a stern, rather severe look. But when she removed the mask to chat with me, she was young and blonde and very lovely. Her skin looked so dainty and fresh that I just couldn't resist saying, My, you look as though you just stepped out of a bandbox. She laughed and said, Oh, wife, I've been on the job since early this morning, and I haven't even had time to repowder my face. But after all, I do use your powder, you know. Of course, she's only one of millions of busy, important women who use Lady Esther face powder, partly because of its remarkable clinging quality. They explain that when they use Lady Esther face powder, they have the comfortable feeling that their skin always looks smooth and fresh, never streaked, caked, or shiny. But that's only one of the reasons why more lovely women now use Lady Esther face powder than any other kind. There are two other important reasons. First... The texture of my powder is so flattering that it hides little lines and blemishes, makes your skin look younger. And second, the shades of Lady Esther face powder are so rich, vivid, and alive, they give new interest, a look of new beauty to your skin. And both the unusual texture and the flattering shades are the result of my patented twin hurricane method of making face powder. So if you'd like to have your skin look softer, smoother, younger... And look that way for hours at a time. Just try Lady Esther face powder. And now the curtain rises on the second act of The Maltese Falcon, starring Humphrey Bogart as Sam Spade, Mary Astor as Bridget O'Shaughnessy, Sidney Greenstreet as Casper Gutman, the fat man... And Peter Lorre as Joel Cairo. Late in the afternoon, following Sam Spade's visit to Gutman's apartment, a dying man staggered into Spade's office and collapsed on the floor. He died before he could speak to Spade. But his papers identified him as Captain Jacoby of the steamship La Paloma. And clutched to his bullet-torn chest was the Maltese Falcon. After depositing the Falcon in a railroad station check room and mailing the identification check to his private post office box, Sam met Bridget O'Shaughnessy and took her to his apartment. You know, Sam, I never would have placed myself in this position if I hadn't trusted you completely. Oh, oh that again? But you know that's so. Uh, you don't have to trust me as long as you can persuade me to trust you. But Sam, darling... Well, I think we'd better let it go at that until we see what happens after Gutman gets here. The fat man? Here? Certainly, why not? Anyway, that should be him. So it's too late to change our plans. I'll be right back. Oh, hello, Gutman. Good evening, sir. I see you brought company. 
I can understand the gunman, but I didn't know Cairo was a friend of yours. <laughs> we're old acquaintances. Now that we're all here, let's go in and sit down and be comfortable and talk. Oh, sure. Come on in. Now, look, Angel. Gutman brought a couple of friends along. Good evening, Mr. Shaughnessy. Hello, Joe. You look unusually charming this evening, my dear. Thanks. The uh, gunsel doesn't talk, Angel. Get away from me, punk. Stand still and shut up. Listen, you're not going to frisk me, touch me, and I'm going to make you use that gun. Ask your boss if he wants me shut up before we talk. Never mind, Wilma. <laughs> you're certainly a most headstrong and unpredictable individual, Mr. Spade. Now, why did you send for me? You ready to make the first payment and take the falcon off my hands? The falcon? That's right, Angel. I've got it. Well, sir, I have in this envelope $10,000. $10,000? Oh, we were talking about more money than that. Yes, sir, we were, but there are more of us to be taken care of now. <laughs> well, that may be, but I've got the falcon. I shouldn't think it would be necessary to remind you, Mr. Spade, that uh, though you may have the falcon, yet we certainly have you. Yes, I'm trying not to let that worry me, but uh, let the money wait. There's another thing to be taken care of first. We've got to have a fall guy. I beg your pardon? Police have got to have a victim, somebody they can stick for those three murders. Two, two. Only two murderers, Mr. Spade. Thursby undoubtedly killed your problem. All right, all right. Two, then. Well, the point I've got to give the police, a victim when the time comes. If I don't, I'll be it. Uh, let's give him, uh, let's give him Wilmer here. Why, you dirty He rats. actually did shoot Thursby and Jacoby, didn't he? Anyway, he's made to order for the part. Let's turn him over to them. <laughs> By God, so you are a character, that you are. <laughs> There's ever, never any telling what you'll say or do next, except that it's bound to be something astonishing. Well, that's our best bet. With him in their hands, the police will forget the rest of us. Your plan is not at all practical, sir. Let's not say anything more about it. All right. I have another suggestion. Let's give him Cairo. Well, by God, sir. Suppose we give him you, Mr. Spade, or, or Mr. Shaughnessy. How about that, huh? Sam, you wouldn't. You people want the fork, and I've got it. Fall guy is part of the price I'm insisting on. You seem to forget you're not in a position to insist on anything. No? If you kill me, how are you going to get the falcon? Hey, Gadzer, you are a character. <laughs> well? Well, what else can I do? I'm sorry, Wilma. Terribly sorry. I want you to know that I couldn't be any fonder of you if you were my own son. But, well, if you lose a son, it's possible to get another. And there's only one Maltese falcon. You rat, I'll kill you for this. Thank you, Mr. Spade. When you're as young as Wilma, one simply doesn't understand these things. <laughs> and how about some coffee, Bridget? Put the pot on, will you? I don't like to leave my guests. Surely. Anything to get out of here. Now, sir, let's get down to business. I ought to have more than 10000 Of course, sir. You understand this is the first payment. You still don't understand the falcon's worth. Well, a black enamel bird can't be worth millions. But it is. Otherwise, I should not have spent 17 years of my life trying to uh, acquire it. The black enamel you refer to, sir, is merely camouflage, covering a solid gold bird encrusted from head to foot with the finest jewel. Okay. So I get millions later. How's about 15,000 now? Frankly and candidly, and on my word of honor as a gentleman, 10,000 I gave you is all the money I can raise right now. But you didn't say positively. <laughs> Positively. Well, if that's the best you can do, it's the best you can do. But it's understood the punk has to stand as the fall guy. That is part of our agreement, sir. Okay, I'll make a phone call. The falcon will be here in an hour.
This is not the Maltese falcon. Why? This is a lead imitation covered with the same enamel. See where I've shaved it off with a knife lead? Pure lead. You bungled it. You, Gutman. You and your stupid attempt to buy it from the Russian who owned it. He caught on to how valuable it was. No wonder we had so little trouble stealing it. You, you imbecile. You, you bloated idiot. Well, sir, what do you suggest? Shall we stand here and shed tears and call each other names? Or shall we pay the Russian another call in Istanbul? Are you going? Seventeen years I've wanted that little item, and I intend to get it. Another year? Well, sir, that will be an additional expenditure of time on only five and fifteen seventeenths percent. I go with you. Good. And Wilma? Wilma, Where? Where is the boy? You must have had him. Made his getaway while we were unwrapping the fog. A swell lot of thieves. Well, sir, I left to ask you to return my 10000 I held up my end. It's your hard luck, not mine, if you didn't get what you wanted. I'm sorry, but I must insist. Oh, a hideout gun, huh? Okay. Thank you, sir. The shortest farewells are the best. Adieu. And to you, Miss O'Shaughnessy, I leave the fake Falcon, Falcon as a little memento. No! <laughs> Come, Carl. Hello, police department. Lieutenant Dundee there, put him on. Tell him Sam Spade's calling. Gutman and Cairo will talk when the cops nail them about us. We've only got minutes to get set for the police. Now give me your whole story fast. Well, where, where shall I begin? Uh, the day you first came to my office. Why did you want Thursby shadowed? I, I suspected him of betraying me to Gutman, and I wanted to find That's out. That's a lie. Gutman tried to make a deal with him. You had Thursby hooked, and you knew it. You wanted to get him out of the way before Captain Jacoby arrived with the falcon. Isn't that so? What was your scheme? I thought if he saw someone following him, he might be frightened into going away. Now look, Archer had many brains, but he wasn't clumsy enough to be spotted the first night. You must have told Thursby he was being followed. I told him, yes. But please believe me, Sam, I wouldn't have told him if I thought Floyd would kill him. If you thought he wouldn't kill Archie, you were right, Angel. Didn't he? Archie had been a detective too long to be caught shadowing a man up a blind alley with his gun tucked away in his hip and his overcoat button. But he'd have gone up there with you, Angel... He was just dumb enough for that. Sam. And then you could have stood as close to him as you liked there in the dark. Put a hole through him with a gun you'd gotten from Thursby that evening. Don't, don't talk to me like that, Sam. You know I didn't. Now, the police will be blowing in any minute now, Angel. Talk. Oh, why do you accuse me of such a terrible... Why did you shoot Archer? I thought Thursby would tackle him and one or the other would go down. If Thursby was killed, then you were rid of him. If it was Archer, then you could see that Thursby was caught. Was that it? Something. And when something you find like out that. that Thursby didn't mean to tackle Archie, you borrowed the gun and did it yourself, right? I guess so. I know so. You didn't know Gutman was here looking for you until you learned Thursby was shot. Then you needed another protector. So you came back to me. Yes, but though, sweetheart, it wasn't only that. I, I would have come back to you sooner or later. From the very first instant I saw you, I knew that. Oh, you angel. Well, if you get a good break, you'll be out of San Quentin in 20 years. Sam, you're not... Yes, Angel. I'm going to send you over. But if they hang you, I'll always remember you. Don't, Sam. Don't say that. Even in fun. It's not fun. I happen to be in the detective business, and you killed my partner. Bad business to let the killer get away with it. 
Bad for every detective in this country. You're taking the fall. You've been playing with me. Only pretending you cared to trap me like this. You didn't care at all. You don't love me. Uh, I... I think I do. But what of it? I won't play the sap for you. You know it's not like that. You can't say that. I am saying it. You know down deep in your heart, you know that in spite of everything I've done, I love you. I don't care who loves who. You killed Archer. You're going over for it. Come in. Oh, hello, Copper. Hello, Sam. You get Gutman and Cairo? You got Cairo. Gutman's dead. The kid Wilmer had just finished shooting him when we got there. So I ought to have expected that. You better put the cuffs on Angel, Copper. We're taking her down to the station. What charge? Sam. Murder. She shot Miles Archer. Oh, and you better bring that blackbird along too, Copper. It's part of the evidence against Cairo. Hey, this is heavy. What's it made of? The uh, stuff that dreams are made of. So ends the story of the Maltese Falcon. Thank you, Mary Astor, Humphrey Bogart, Sidney Greenstreet, and Peter Lorre for appearing with the Lady Astor Screen Guild players tonight and also for telling us a most exciting story. It was our pleasure, Mr. Bradley. We all had a wonderful time making the picture, and the radio version tonight brought back some wonderful memories. Then, too, knowing that the benefits from these programs that support the motion picture country house and clinic give us an added incentive. And now, before we tell you about next week's program... Here's a word from one of America's best-known beauty authorities, Lady Esther. Thank you, Miss Esther. Ladies, you know it's surprising the number of letters new users of Lady Esther face powder have sent me in the last few months. So many of them say the same thing, that Lady Esther face powder is an entirely different kind of powder, that it does wonderful things for the appearance of the skin, <clears throat> makes it look softer, smoother, and often years younger. Well, Lady Esther face powder is more flattering, more becoming. Because my powder isn't just mixed, just blended like ordinary face powder. It's made by a method new, unique, exclusively mine. You see, Lady Esther face powder is blown at whirling speed by my famous twin hurricanes. Yes, my patented twin hurricane process blows and whips color and powder particles together until they're evenly married blended into a fine, smooth, sheer mist of beauty, finer in texture and truer in shade than powder ever made by ordinary methods. That's why Lady Esther face powder smooths on so much more evenly, and why the shades of my powder are so clear and alive they make your skin younger-looking, more vivid, far lovelier. Why don't you try Lady Esther face powder and see how much happier you'll be with the appearance of your skin? Before we tell you about next week's program, Humphrey Bogart has a word to say from our government. As you all know, the third war loan drive is on full steam, the drive to back the attack our fighting forces are making against our enemies. As our share toward victory, we at home must buy $15 billion worth of war bonds, which means each one of us must dig down deeper into our own pockets. Each of us must buy at least one extra bond this month. We have to win this war, and we will win, all right. But how soon we win is up to every one of us. So buy an extra war bond this week, sure, to help speed our day to victory. 
Next week, the Lady Esther Screen Guild players will present highlights from Warner Brothers' great new musical picture, Thank Your Lucky Stars. It will star Joan Leslie, Dennis Morgan, Dinah Shore, and Eddie Cantor. Be sure to listen. Humphrey Bogart can soon be seen in the Warner Brothers production, Thank Your Lucky Stars. Mary Astor is currently playing in the Metro-Golden-Mayer Technicolor production, Thousands Cheer. Sidney Greenstreet and Peter Laurie appeared through the courtesy of Warner Brothers. Music on tonight's program was arranged and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. To help your government save tin, buy the larger size of Lady Esther face cream, and at the same time, you will save yourself money to invest in war bonds and stamps. Truman Bradley speaking for Lady Esther. Thank you. Good night. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Hey, this is Brian Davis, and you might know me from the Damn Good Movie Memories podcast. And now, get ready for the Bad Beat Show on ThatMetalStation.com. From 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern every Wednesday night. I'm going to play some kick-ass hard rock inspired by the blues. Because after all, the foundation of all things rock and metal is, of course, the blues. So join me every Wednesday night for the bad beat. Because even when you lose, you still win. We are officially on Spotify now, so if you don't use iTunes, if you don't use the Podbean app, you can go to Spotify and get all of our past episodes. You can stream it on there, so if you're a Spotify user, you can go find Damn Good Movie (laughs) I can't even say my own podcast. Damn Good Movie Memories. Yes, I know what I'm talking about. I'm the host, right? Okay, so go to Spotify, look for Damn Good Movie Memories. You can stream all of that stuff. And yeah, so if you don't want to use iTunes, you don't want to use Podbean, you can use Spotify as well. All right, before we sign off, we do have t-shirts are available for sale. All you have to do is go to tpublic, that's T-E-E-P-U-B-L-I-C.com, and you can get your very own Damn Good Movie Memories t-shirt. You can get all sizes, any gender, you can get whatever you want just at the tip of your fingers. So just go to tpublic.com, look up Damn Good Movie Memories, and you can get your very own t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast and are an iTunes user, please do the show a favor and head on over to the official iTunes page for Damn Good Movie Memories. Be sure to leave a rating and a review. This will allow the show to appear higher in the algorithm and spread the joy of this podcast to the masses. If you are not an iTunes user, you can still listen and subscribe on Podbean at damngoodmoviememories.podbean.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook under our Damn Good Movie Memories page. You can also listen to a limited number of episodes on YouTube. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and be sure to tune in next week for an all new episode of Damn Good Movie Memories. I am Dr. Fuck. And I'm the actual alcoholic. And we are part of the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. We are the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. That's right. And the way you can check us out is we are on iTunes and also Podbean. And we forgot a review recently. I got this review right here. It says right here, it says, Rock and Metal Combat Podcast is the greatest podcast in the world. And it's my number one podcast signed by Science. Now, and then Science also says... Science! Science also said... My second favorite podcast is It Doesn't Matter, The Rest Suck. 
Rock and Metal Combat Podcast on iTunes and Poppy. Check it out. Science! Are you ready for the hottest new podcast out there? Check out the Vieira Vault, featuring none other than Dr. Fuck Ralph Vieira. You will hear personal stories and personal songs from the vault. There ain't nothing else like it. The one, the only, the original Vieira Vault. On Podbean, Stitcher.com, and iTunes. Spreaker. God damn it. Hey, this is Stephen Michael from the Growing Up Rock Podcast. If you're like me and my co-host Sonny Hollywood Pooney, you grew up loving hard rock and metal music. Check out our podcast where we talk to bands and artists that help create the soundtrack to our lives, along with playing some killer new and old deep tracks of kick-ass guitar-driven rock and roll. Find us wherever you find your podcast to listen to, That's the Growing Up Rock Podcast, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K. And feel free to hit us up at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Growing Up Rock. So sit back and crank it up. 